They laid the king down on his bed. The crowd had thinned as they crossed the inner palace, and as they reached the final set of stairs, he'd let his guards carry him. He'd accused them of laziness for not offering sooner. When Costas looked at him in reproach, he'd said, Stop giving me the evil eye, Costas. I am mortally wounded. I deserve some consideration. I'm with the smart people who peeled off and went the home. <laughs> And I'm Caitlin. And I'm Megan. Megan is both our friend and our local librarian. Finally, someone with actual qualifications! Megan, would you like to do the honors? This is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief, which is in only 240 days. It's December 29th, 2019. Last episode, you might remember that there was some light stabbing. Today, we return to see the consequences of said stabbing. The stabbing was done. <laughs> Ornon is great in this chapter. Uh, he's just, he's so mad at everybody. He's disappointed the wound's not deeper. <laughs> he's done with everything. He's got that disappointed dad face on. No matter who did what, he's disappointed with you. He's the only one who's not surprised by any of it. Everybody else is like, there's blood and they're in love and he is wait is he hurt or not hurt but like die? my my Italian brain is gonna explode and no one's like yep just another day with jen this is <laughs> usual another day at the office <laughs> and it's ornan's opinion that actually reassures the queen as jen's would not which is totally fair costas is like oh why didn't he say anything and then he's like wait he did he just joked about it the whole time and nobody believed him yeah mm-hmm. it's unreliable narrator speaker whatever you want to call it yeah eugenides is the boy who cried wolf but on purpose yeah <laughs> so it says in here uh how dangerous this wound possibly is it says once they realize that it's an actual slash all the way across the stomach it says if the wall of the gut had been opened the king would be dead of infection within days i like or i appreciate how much there is in these books about the permanence of injuries and like how dangerous even a mild seeming injury can be in a world like this where they have the level of medicine that they do and like every injury that jen has gotten over all of these books has scarred and like helen has her broken nose and that was just a childhood accident but it's there forever Mm -hmm. right there's no hand wavy business about you know yeah the way in some like kind of fantasy series or series in this setting it's like there's it just goes away yeah yeah Yeah. because i feel like in other fantasies that's like the default is that if you get injured or anything similar you wave the magic wand and then it's just gone yeah or you're just so tough that like (laughs) i was stabbed but it's fine yeah and I think it was mentioned in Queen of Atolia, wasn't it, that uh, two of Jen's cousins had gotten injured in a battle and then died of infection mm-hmm. later. Yeah. So, like, we've already seen people die like this. To be fair, Jen does try to throw it off at one point, doesn't he? And everyone's, like, screaming, get pants off! <laughs> he has to get stitches, which I'm sure suck in this world. Yeah. <laughs> no anesthesia. They didn't even give him any, like, don't... I don't they give people brandy in like civil war novels or whatever (laughs) I don't know to get them drunk first they do they have liquor in this world 
I think so. Don't they have? Well, uh, the Meads do, right? Don't they, they have rhyme check in Conspiracy of Kings? They have the the Meads have rhyme check, but does this culture have any? Because they talk about wine all the time. Everybody's yeah. getting drunk on mm. wine every day, all day, every day. Work hard, party hard. But <laughs> do they? Do they have a? Maybe they just don't have liquor. Maybe. Yeah. Someone's making some kind of illegal liquor alone in their basement somewhere in this universe. <laughs> Maybe they haven't monetized it yet. Need to turn it into a business. Right. Because they grow the stuff you make. Like, they have wheat and... Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. World building problems. <laughs> There's a question asked at our next author event. <laughs> Can they drink whiskey? Do they have whiskey? When will he drink whiskey? <laughs> I was going to talk about the Irene bit because... Yes. That's my favorite thing. Go for mm-hmm. it. Is when he calls her Irene. Right? And that part where she she faints and Ornon is like smoshing his hand in Jen's face. <laughs> which you can tell he's been wanting to do for exactly forever. Just smushing that hand right in there. And he calls out Irene and the whole room kind of like stops a little bit. Oh, so romantic. <laughs> I know there's blood everywhere and it's sort of like a Last Supper type scene probably. Like... But how romantic. She faints and Costas catches her. And the that's another... We were talking last episode about um, the way that the narration conveys things happening very fast and all of a sudden. And that technique she uses again here where it talks about Costas running and catching her before it says mm-hmm. that what's happening is that she's fainting. He just goes yeah and and she falls into his arms and he realizes as he hears her name her actual first name uh and he's holding her that she's surprisingly human and female and suddenly he's (laughs) extremely uncomfortable and like i don't know how i feel about like the revelation of her humanity being tied up in like she does this feminine wifely thing thing i think that's complicated but it is a very affecting moment yeah especially because ornan ties it to um there is a lot of blood she is a woman she was upset (laughs) and jens is upset at the sight of blood not my wife also my wife yes (laughs) john mulaney that's my wife he loves saying my wife. Mm-hmm. In just the last chapter, Eris was saying there's not a womanly bone in her body. And then in this chapter, people see this like, Wait a minute. womanly image. There might be. <laughs> but of course, she faints at the sight of his blood specifically because she's remembering that she cut his goddamn hand off. Yeah, so Jen says, um, upset at the sight of blood, not my wife or not. And he says, your blood. And then Eugenides glanced at the hook on the end of his arm and conceded the point. Yes, he said. He seemed lost in a memory. Ouch, guys. <laughs> like, all right, that did happen, didn't it? <laughs> and isn't it just after that that they say that everyone in the room is trying to resolve this new yeah. understanding about the two of them, Atoli and Jen? And I also love that that comes right after this part because it's like they're all remembering again. Oh, right, yep, the torture happened. And also they seem to be married and to each other costas is really gaining confidence with jen or like a sense of intimacy mm-hmm. when jen allows his guards to carry him up the last flight of stairs costas looks at him with reproach 
like he's feeling comfortable enough to be calling Jen out. Yeah, which goes along with everything he did in the last chapter too, you know, actually talking to him like he's a person. Um, and I like that that revelation on Costas' part that like, okay, he is really an actual person. Like he's seen him cry. Now he's seen him as injured. He's whatever. It comes at the same time as he realizes when the queen faints, he'd never thought of her as having any name except Atolia, but of course she was a person as well as a queen. So like, it's kind of both, he's kind of having this realization about both of them, that these are actual human beings. <laughs> yeah, we get a humanization of both yeah. of them at the same time. Which just makes him more loyal to both of them, I feel like. And she faints only when he's quiet, when he's stopped like complaining mm. and like screaming that he's fine or whatever and doesn't costas make that point that he that if if eugenides had been quiet mm -hmm. the whole way back then there would have been a dizzying you know soldiers on the move people would have been panicked but because he was talking the whole time no one worried right right and when his hand was cut off remember he didn't scream Ouch. Again, ouch. <laughs> it's this shared trauma that they have, which is deeply weird. Yeah. It, but, like, they share it, but also they, like, there is some point where they will always have their private experiences of it, and, like, they can't connect about it. Like, Jen doesn't even realize or want to realize that, like, that is the reason why she was so affected by the sight of his blood mm -hmm. uh it's like he, he wants to think that she's fine and he has trauma about it yeah <laughs> which i mean do. i feel like that's fair yeah in a sense like he's the one who got actually injured yeah <laughs> but yeah it doesn't do to just ignore her experience of it either it's not healthy communication yeah. in marriage <laughs> no and like we keep arriving at the question of like is it relevant at all in these stories to be asking like what is right because mm -hmm. if i'm thinking about like what is right they wouldn't be married at all yeah. but since they're like doing this arguably healing thing you want it to be about both of them mm -hmm. and you want them to succeed right you're always you know, rooting for them the humor that was present in last chapter is also present here a little bit when it turns into like half a brawl <laughs> <laughs> like 1 to 20 odds and the king is almost winning <laughs> drastically yeah, injured Jen wants to, like, win this situation <laughs> socially <laughs> somehow. In the image of Irene faints, Jen springs up, and the, the doctor is going, My stitches! My stitch! Like, my, my beautiful work! <laughs> You're ruining it! Oh, and it says he sprang up like a wild animal caught in a snare, and I, like, ugh! It's a metaphor for him as a king. Yeah. And he'd also been compared to an animal in the last chapter. When Irene touched his face, he sprang back like a startled deer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I 
thought of that. Yeah. So he's a prey animal <clears throat> in these two chapters. Oof. Which is an interesting image. Yeah. Or that's how Costas is seeing him. Mm-hmm. True. Unreliable yes. narrator. Good because point. we know. I saw somewhere someone talking too about how we see this whole book as a plot of gems, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and but at the end, it also turns out to have been a plot of Atolia's to force Jen to become a king. Mm-hmm. So there's just like plots within plots within unreliable narrators. It's like a whole spiral of them. Costas, Costas is such a perfect person to be narrating this because he doesn't have an agenda. Mm-hmm. And on this reread in particular, I'm struck by that. Yeah. He's just an observer. All his reactions are so pure. <laughs> and I don't mean like pure and good. They're just like pure reactions. Yeah. Like he's yeah. just, you know, he's not a good liar. <laughs> he just wants to make it to the end of the day. And that's it. <laughs> Do you like that you can feel the switch from humor to tension at the end of this chapter, though? Like yes. the humor plays from the last chapter all the way into this chapter, and then at the end, and then they get to the part where they remember that he she tortured him, mm-hmm. um, and then it ends on a somber note, and you're like, oh, next chapter Ooh. will not be funny. Yeah, and the next chapter is so tense. Right. I feel like that really works that we have that shift, right? Because it, it primes you for what's coming next, and it is a serious situation, right? But it just takes a while for the whatever slapstick stuff is going on to fade and for you to realize the gravity of what just happened and how that's gonna the aftermath of this is gonna play out Mm -hmm. do you think that that's a shift in the book as a whole like do you think Mm. that there's more because this is about the halfway point Mm -hmm. it's 14 chapters and this is number eight i feel like this is the point at which the stakes have been raised for costas now that he is fully on board. He really does care. He's not just being here out of duty. Yeah. And some of the threads are coming together, right? Yeah. Like, Jen's plans are becoming not apparent because not everybody knows that he is capable of these kinds of plans. But, like, we know that some mm-hmm. threads are coming together, which are also raising the stakes, which are raising Costas' stakes. So, yeah, it mm-hmm. is a turning point in that. And this is the point, or the next chapter is the point where he starts to wield more political power, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, before with Relius, he told the queen to arrest Relius, so he wasn't making that decision. Mm-hmm. But now he steps in more directly for Teleus. And he's definitely, like, as he's becoming backed into a corner emotionally in ways we maybe can't see... He's literally backed into a corner physically by assassins. <laughs> this is the most, like, physical danger stakes we're going to have, possibly. Yeah, I think yeah. so. It, uh, she has such an interesting s- structure. Because, mm-hmm. like, especially this one, which is not... There's no quest narrative. There's no, uh, like, feeling of this is a adventure novel with a plot that yeah. has a goal you can't predict what's coming next by any conventional means yeah as opposed to like the thief mm-hmm. it it's that's you know, definitely a quest don't want to steal an object it's got a goal but then it flips at the end which mm-hmm. is also true for thickest thieves mm-hmm. but this one and uh queen of atolia are more amorphous mm-hmm. and so they have kind of a less of an even arc 
And the plot twists at the end of all of them kind of throw a wrench in that anyway, too. Even in the con- even in the conventional stories. Yeah. yeah. I don't know Which why I, I put Conspiracy of Kings in that mm. conception. I don't know, because you kind of know from the beginning, kind of early on, that the goal is him taking the throne back. Right. Yeah. I'm so excited for this Conspiracy of Kings. <gasps> I love Conspiracy so of Kings. I miss Sophos. <laughs> I love him. Where is Sophos while this is happening? What is the timeline? Where is my son? <laughs> Conspiracy of Kings was supposed to be part of this book. Yeah. And then she decided to split them. That she would have been wild. That, I know. She thought that um, she wasn't planning on having a book about Sophos, but she thought that if he just appeared out of nowhere as king, as like a beefcake with a new scar on his face, no one would, <laughs> no one would believe it. He got and really hot over summer vacation. <laughs> the word beefcake is really flashing through my mind with Sophos right now. <laughs> She thought we would have to see it to believe it, and I have to say I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I would not have believed anything else. I agree. Also, I want to see it. I want to see him take that throne. Give it to me. That's chapter eight. Next time, justice and mercy go head to head. Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an amateur embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. Unreliable narrator!